All right, Marshall, are we recording? Uh, yeah, we're recording. Wait, hang on, Marshall, just really quick. Could you just double check one more time? Go over to your QuickTime player application and just make sure that it's recording. Yeah, I'm recording now. <laughs> okay, so we are recording? Yeah. All right, let's do this again. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Uh. Well, well, welcome to episode 410 of the Design Details Podcast, coming at you from a hot and sweaty room in New York City. This is Brian Lovin. New York City! The big Snapple. <laughs> yeah, hi, I'm Marshall Bach. I'm also on this show. Welcome back for another episode. You threw me off. I, I have a whole like thing that I do, and I, I mm-hmm. didn't do it right. Anyways, welcome back for another episode. This is the second time we're recording this whole intro and <laughs> up through the main topic, because... Your boy here is an idiot mm-hmm. and thought he hit the button, but he didn't hit the button. You know what? We have a routine, right? We do our three, two, one click, and then we always say kilobytes counting up. Mm-hmm. And we used to say that just to confirm, because this has happened once before, like two years ago. Yeah. And so we would always say kilobytes counting up, mm-hmm. and it didn't happen this week. We got so, lax. We just got lazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. See what happens. Resting on our laurels. Mm-hmm. 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 Take two is going to be smooth AF. Before we get into this episode, huge shout out to our sponsor, Baron Fig. Every great design starts with a sketch. And you don't want your tools to get in your way when you're trying to get your best ideas out of your brain onto paper. The materials matter. The notebook, the paper, the pen, the feel of it all, it all matters. And Baron Fig is here to make the most simple, beautiful, functional tools to help you think more clearly. They make gorgeous limited edition notebooks with prompts, Guided notebooks for coding, cooking, developing your habits, reviewing, or even dreaming. And of course, they've got all the best basics. They've got that dot grid, my favorite, ruled and blank notebooks that lie flat. There's no hump in the middle. There's no ridge that you got to work your pen around. Just lies flat, letting you just get right to that sketch. They make tools for thinkers. Beyond just the journals, they also have writing instruments. They got that squire pen, and boy, oh boy, is it hefty and Got a good hand feel. They also have bags, desk organizers, travel kits, and more. What started out as a Kickstarter project has now become the best materials in the game. If you want to think more clearly, go to baronfig.com slash design details. And when you use that URL, you'll get 20% off your first purchase of $50 or more. Once again, that's baronfig, B-A-R-O-N-F-I-G.com slash design details. Thanks, Baron Fig. We also have a golden ratio supporter this week. It's Plume. Back empowering a billion smart devices at home and small businesses through a suite of adaptive Wi-Fi, AI security, and parental control tools. They're hiring product designers to build the future of smart home services. They need people with two to five years of experience shipping products, and you can learn more at designdetails.fm slash plume. So thank you, Plume. Thanks, Plume. All right. We got some new VIPs, very important pixels. Welcome to the fam. Welcome to the fam. Huge shout outs to Raise a Plant. All one word. <laughs> Good advice. Andrew Frank, Alowu Abayomi, David East, Paige Mariucci, Alfredo Contreras, Andrew, and Miguel Salvador. Oh my gosh, Brian. I, 
flawless, I think, you know, to, to the best of my <laughs> flawless knowledge. Flawless victory. That mm-hmm. was flawless. And I will say you also did a single take the first time that we recorded this episode. So like, you were batting 2,000 right now. Mm-hmm. Name game on fire. Well, for real, <laughs> welcome to the fam, everybody. Thank you for supporting the show. Be sure to catch your first sidebar this yeah. week. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means that the aforementioned VIP Very Important Pixels, as well as you, dear listener, make the show possible every single week. And that happens on Patreon at patreon.com slash design details, where for just a buck a month, it's just a buck a month, you can get access to double episodes. It's through a special supporter-only segment we call the Sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. Sidebar is an extra listener question, an extra design topic every single week. This week, we're talking all about keynote tips and tricks. If you want to get access to the full backlog of sidebars, as well as access to double episodes going forward, that happens at patreon.com slash design details. It's just a buck a month. It's just a buck a month. So welcome to the fam, everybody. Yeah, welcome. Let's get into the show. Let's do it. Marshall, we got a tweet from another Brian L. This tweet comes from Brian Leach, who says... Have you dudes done an episode on in-house design versus agency work? Would love some perspective on different ways to think about that dilemma. Good question, Brian. All right, well, maybe we should caveat first. Mm -hmm. I will say, Brian, that I have never worked at an agency myself. However, I have worked with folks who were at an agency, and I have interviewed folks that are coming from an agency. So I have a little bit of secondhand knowledge of talking about this stuff. So I, I know what I've heard, but nothing firsthand. What about you? Yeah, same bucket. Uh, interviewed folks from agency world, talked to agency founders, and you know, at some point have, I guess, thought about it and just ended up deciding that the in-house track was right for me so maybe there was a decision at some point but yeah i would say my perspective from my working experience is purely in-house but with that caveat out of the way maybe we should articulate what this dilemma is that brian's mentioning so here's the way i see it marshall is when people tell me that they are switching from agency to in-house or in-house to agency it is always because of one reason it's always because they're looking for breadth or depth. And in the agency world, you get to work on lots of projects. And those projects might last from a few weeks to a few months. And you get to work in a lot of different industries on a lot of different types of things and play with a lot of different kinds of styles and systems and different kinds of people. But what I think ends up happening quite often is you don't really go that deep. So you ship a first version and then you're on to the next client. And what you're missing is sort of the feedback loop, the iteration, the V2, the knowledge of, you know, did the thing that you designed work? Now, compared to an in-house role, you kind of get the opposite, right? You might end up at a company where you work on one thing for a long period of time. And so you get lots of shots on goal. You get lots of iteration cycles. You're really close to the customer. You're embedded within a product team. You have data and and research and, and like just depth on this one thing. And I feel like that is the dilemma that people kind of want to bounce from one to the other because, you know, on the agency side, it can get hectic and feel maybe a little bit disconnected from outcomes. And then on the in-house side, I don't know, maybe people get bored after a while. Is that is that how you see this dilemma as well? Yeah, yeah. It's very much like a pool versus a well. 
right? It's like wide and shallow or narrow and deep. And there are pros and cons with both of those things. And, you know, grass is always greener, but this is a good thing to talk about. I think this would be an interesting topic, Brian. Yeah, I feel like the grass is always greener is true. And I don't know, but I suppose there's ways to try and thread the needle and get the best of both worlds. Like I've seen firsthand in the in-house world, depending on the type of company or the size, you can find that variety and that breadth by switching teams or going to a startup where you're forced to wear many hats and the company is sort of reinventing itself very quickly every few months or switch companies frequently. You know, I think designers are at this point almost notorious, not positively <laughs> notorious. Yeah. Infamous. Uh, yeah. Infamous for switching jobs every one and a half to two years. And so I feel like in the in-house world, that is the way to bounce around and get that variety while still in the day-to-day having that access to customers and being close to the data and being embedded in a product team and having that satisfaction of seeing the real results of your decisions. Now, of course, you can imagine on the flip side, someone in an agency, I know Wayno did this really well before they joined Twitter, they would embed their designers in product teams like Uber and they would go for many months at a time. And as far as I know, that helped them have you know many iterative cycles. They felt a deeper connection to the product, obviously speaking secondhand here. But having that embedded type of working arrangement with a client seems like it might be a way to, I don't know, get the best of both worlds, right? Like you're on a team, you're on a single product, going deep. You have a lot of time to try a few things, talk to customers, do the whole thing. But then, you know, there is an expiration date and you get to move on to the next project. The only downside I can think of here is in that second model, and and this also has been my experience working with folks from agencies or contractors, is despite being embedded in the product org, it's almost like air quotes embedded because I think there's just organizational boundaries between full-time employees and contractors. And it's maybe not always like super explicit. It might often be very subtle, like like people having to constantly request access to files or to a Slack channel or not having access to the same perks, right? Like, I don't know, some companies will give you like a lunch allowance or a learning and development budget. And those things aren't available to contractors or, or folks who are embedded from agencies. And so it creates a little bit of I don't know what the right term is here, like a class divide where, you know, some conversations might be awkward or you might not feel comfortable having it in front of everybody. So I don't know. That feels like the biggest trade-off in that world to me. Have you seen this? Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, it never feels good on either side of that class divide of like, it's like a one of us, one of them type of a thing. And it always feels Mm. weird. It creates a weird dynamic. But I think it is a big improvement over the potential like veil of uncertainty as to why decisions are made when you are just working at the agency and you can't see past the membrane of the client's org. You know what I mean? Like something happens mm-hmm. and you just got to roll with it. So being embedded is is really nice. And I think it would probably alleviate a little bit of one of the other things I hear, which is like the feeling of like you're in someone else's house, right? Like you're mm-hmm. you're sleeping in their bed, and, you know, like you're you're <laughs> yeah. using their design system, you're using their color palette, you know, you're, it's all their stuff. You can't change it. You just got to work within the confines of what you've been given. 
understanding that it's their stuff and you can't insult them and be like, your stuff sucks. I don't like this stuff. You should get better stuff, right? It's their fucking house. Uh-huh. They, you know? So when you're embedded, it might feel like you have a little bit more opportunity to make suggestions for stuff like that or it, it probably feels like you're less of an outsider is my guess. Yeah, just more time to build relationships and like understanding. Okay, so so barring having worked at an agency, but having had many interviews with agency designers, there are things that I feel like come up frequently in interviews that might be worth thinking about here. So Brian, I don't know exactly your context. If you're in an agency and coming into in-house or, or vice versa, but for anyone who's listening who is at an agency and is curious about sort of going in-house in a product team, here's some things I've noticed. So the first is a lot of times candidates struggle to articulate how decisions are made or how they design when the client sort of strong arms design into doing whatever they want. And this happens a lot. Like you'll ask, oh, why did you choose to design the screen this way? And they'll say, well, because the client said to. Uh It's like, ah, I understand why that sucks because they're paying you and, you know, they do have the final say. It's their house. But I almost want to see the iteration that you wished you could have shipped. Like if you had the ability to override the client, what would you have done? And the strongest interviews I've seen, the designer will actually have that. They'll be like, okay, yeah, yeah, the client told us they wanted this, but I thought it wasn't as good as this option where I thought we should have done this, this, and this. Like that's the kind of depth that I want to see the the trade-off making. And I don't know, it just seems fun to sort of navigate around that constraint, which is that the client gets the final say. The second thing that I've seen folks struggle with in interviews is really comes back to this dilemma that we talked about at the beginning, which is when you finish a project, an agency, you're often on to the next. And what you're missing is the knowledge of if the thing that you designed actually worked and if it actually impacted the the metrics you wanted to impact if real customers you know like actually used it and loved it and shared quotes back with the team and so a lot of times I'll be interviewing designers and they'll say yeah this was the final thing we shipped and I'll say well how did it work and they'll say i don't know i don't have access to that data we were on to the next client i'm like did the customers like it i don't know and that's also pretty unsatisfying. And, and I don't know the solution for that except to say know that ahead of time and try and go into any sort of client work with the intent of like getting that data, right? Like asking ahead of time, like, hey, uh, you know, after the ships, I'd love to hear how this works. Can I get you to commit to share some customer quotes with me or, or some of the final data so that I can include it in my portfolio in the future? And I don't know if that's always going to be possible, but at least asking seems like the right first step to get that included because that's the kind of rigor and like complete process that I think you're going to need to have, at least have a really strong interview for an in-house role. Does that sound true to you, Marshall, or am I? Yeah, it's almost like, here's a bad metaphor, Brian. Uh, Agencies are kind of like traveling doctors, right? Where you show up in town, you prescribe some medicine, you have set some bones and you hope it all heals and you move on to the next town to heal some more people. Right. You know, I love this metaphor. Uh-huh. <laughs> so like, yeah. When do you have an opportunity to go back to that last town and check to see how things are going? Like, yeah, I mean, that's something that you definitely want to do. If you're a good doctor, you care about your patients, even if you're not in the same town as them anymore. So yeah, I think the extra effort to go back and find that stuff out, if it's available to you is super important. And like you said, showing 
what you would have done, even if it's not what the client wanted, is super valuable because it tells me a lot about your decision-making abilities. Yeah. I will tell you, maybe to wrap this up, one model that I am, I find really compelling, I, I don't know exactly how this is working, but I have seen agencies that are created by sort of ex-in-house designers where they, what they want to do is build a product from scratch, start to finish over the course of a longer period of time, like a year plus sort of engagement. And they'll work with a startup and they'll say, okay, yeah, 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 you did your prototype and you raised a little bit of money. Now hire us and we're going to build it for real. And the team will have a ton of in-house product experience. And then maybe after six months or a year, they move on. But for some reason, that feels like the most interesting agency work that I would consider doing, right? Like basically building many startups one after the other. (laughs) And again, hopefully having that access to that feedback loop of if the thing that you shipped worked. But at least in in that world, you're starting from scratch and maybe getting around that constraint of living in someone else's house. It's like, no, 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 you stood up the shanty and now we're going to build you a mansion right next to it. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, and I think that's a good thing to understand about yourself before you make this decision or it's like, Am I the type of person that likes to stand things up from the ground and then move on? Or am I the person that likes to see it go from walking to running to sprinting, right? Because that answer will help point you in the right direction. And and I think there's something to probably understand here too is like, especially if you're coming at an entry level, you're going to not be doing the most fun work initially anyways, probably, unless it's super small and they need all hands on deck. Like you're probably going to be given an innocuous corner of the product or the pitch that you can't fuck up too bad, even if you do fuck it up, right? And that usually means some dark corner or edge case or thing that like nobody will really see. And so getting the actual feel of what the real job is going to be like might not happen immediately. So so stick mm-hmm. it out. Yeah, the agency parallel might be what? Like slicing assets or doing uh, more production-y kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, as, as the entry level, yeah. But you know what? Like having gone through that, like I, I like the dusty corners. I like calling certain parts of the app. Uh, yeah, that that screen's gotten dusty. Like it just hasn't gotten the love. And I remember when I first joined Facebook, I worked on a settings screen for a while. And it's just objectively not a glamorous thing to work on. But I still remember at the time sort of falling in love with that problem. Okay, like I'm going to work on a settings screen. How do I make it a really good settings screen? How do I make it as pretty as I possibly can? And I'm sure if I went and looked back, it probably was bad. But at least my mindset at the time was still very much like, Okay, it's a dusty corner, but it's my dusty corner. Does that make sense? <laughs> oh, no, totally. I, I have literally the exact same story. When I first joined Google, I was on Google+, and one of the first things I worked on was the location settings screen. And, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you know, not the most prestigious thing to work on, but, man, I... I made that the best damn setting screen I could make. And at the end of it, one of the engineers actually said all setting screens should look this nice. And I still remember it, obviously, but like that really stuck with me of like, cool. I, I was given something that wasn't that important, but I fucking killed it. You know what I mean? I, I made it important uh-huh. by, yeah. through my effort and passion and like giving a shit. So even if it's not the most shiny thing to work on, make it shiny in your head and it'll, it'll be awesome. Yeah, I love it. Okay, well, 
if anyone else has perspective having made the switch or considered making the switch in either direction, please let us know. Tweet at us. We'd love to hear about more experiences that we can sort of refine our point of view on this dilemma. And thanks for asking the question, Brian. Yeah, great question. All right. Cool things. Cool things. Shall I go first? You shall. All right. I shall. Marshall. <laughs> My thing this week is not quite out yet it's it's in this like kind of middle ground of existing but not existing bold move marshall Mm -hmm. cool things being something that's not even out yet yeah Hmm. it's like a a liminal cool thing so it is a property called why the last man have you heard of this brian never heard of it it was a very popular comic series from years and years ago i read the first couple volumes and there was a bunch and i didn't have any money at the time so i didn't buy more than the first couple volumes but it's a really good story and it's being made into a television show but the tv show is shot but not out yet i think it's going to be on fx and hulu and the comics exist, but we're kind of in this middle ground. If you could read the comics, but you can't watch the show yet. Anyways, here's the premise of why the last man, Brian. The letter Y. The premise is, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, all the men across the world die. Like, overnight, very violently and painfully, except for one guy. And he is Y, the last man. He's got a monkey sidekick friend, and it's this kind of post-apocalyptic story of survival and you know the breakdown of civilization and what happens when the world ends and then women are in charge what actually happened to kill Mm. all the men Mm -hmm. and you know how is this one guy the only one who didn't die and 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 when we first meet him he's not exactly being forthcoming about his maleness because it is a liability Uh it's an interesting premise for a whole fictional series so Like I said, I haven't finished it, but I always have heard good things. Obviously, it was good enough for them to make a TV series of it. That's coming out, I think, in a few weeks, like I said, on Hulu, on FX. But looks really cool. The trailer that I saw, we'll put in the show notes, is accurate to my head canon from having read the comic. So that's a good sign. Yeah, Why the Last Man? Check it out. Cool. I like shows with that sort of premise. In fact, similarly, I just, I guess out of boredom, last night I watched Idiocracy. Did Mm. you ever see that movie, Marshall? One of my favorites. Yeah, many times. It's got electrolytes, Brian. I hadn't seen it in a decade, maybe longer. I watched it last night, and it's the same kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there's one halfway smart guy. He's like average, but he's the smartest man on earth. Yeah, Average in every way. And that's what what I'm interested, you know, no spoilers here, but in the why the last man, it's like, is there something supernatural or special about this person who survived or or are they just totally a normal person and now they find themselves in this extraordinary circumstance where they are the last, therefore special in every way just because they're last, right? Yeah, I, honestly, I don't know the answer to that. I never got that okay. far to find out. I imagine that's something we'll find near the end, but yeah. Cool. All right, Marshall, my cool thing this week... It needs a little bit of a preface here because this was going to be my cool thing a few weeks ago. It's Dave season two. And you and I watched Dave last year, season one, and I fell in love with it. I think you loved it. Mm -hmm. And so I started season two. I watched the first two episodes and I came on to the podcast. I'm like, yeah, I think it's going to be my cool thing. And you were one episode ahead. You'd started on episode three. And you said, ah, you might want to wait until you see episode three before you recommend this to strangers. Uh Uh-huh. Lo and behold, season two, episode three. Boy, oh boy, what a doozy of an episode. (laughs) Um, 
So you you gave up, right? You stopped it at episode three. Uh, yeah, we couldn't do okay. it. Couldn't do it. Virginia made me turn it off, and I was not, okay. I did not complain. So here's here's what I'm going to say, Marshall. I powered through. I finished episode three. I was not as enthusiastic anymore about the show. I'm like, that was just weird. That was a weird episode, not for me. I kept going, and holy shit, season two is fucking incredible. It is seriously so good marshall you have to finish it the remaining episodes dude they ramp up in and and conclude in the most fantastic beautiful way you have to okay i will convince the lady to resume on episode four yes so that will be my cool thing this week which is if you are into dave or have not heard of dave watch season one and then season two i recommend it and if you hit episode three and you find yourself not into it You don't have to watch it. It's not going to make anything downstream confusing. You're not going to miss something important. So the last two episodes, I wish I could erase the memory of them in my brain because they were so fun to watch. So anyways, okay, that's my cool thing. Cool thing, Brian. All right. This has been episode 410 of the Design Details Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter, as always, at Design Details FM. Huge shout outs to our sponsor, Baron Fig, for making this episode possible. If you head to baronfig.com slash design details, you're going to get 20% off your first purchase of $50 or more. And pick up that brand new mm, dot grid classic or a guided notebook, along with a squire pen, bags, desk organizers, travel kits, and more. That's baronfig.com slash design details. If you enjoyed the episode and you want to support us directly, you can do that on Patreon at patreon.com slash design details, where for just a buck a month, just a buck a month, you can get access to the sidebar, 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 bonus episodes every week. This week's sidebar, we're talking about keynote tips and tricks. So we're going to hear about that, get access to our backlog. Of course, you get the sidebar going forward every week into the future. Go to patreon.com slash design details and sign up. All right, that's it. Catch you next week. Bye. Okay, Brian. So our listener question today was asked by a person named Brian. Uh-huh. And I got to know, is it weird for you to refer to another person with your name as your name? I've never experienced this before. I've never met another Marshall. So is, is it okay. weird to say like, okay, Brian, so here's the, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, it's not weird. What's weird is that you've never met another person named Marshall. I, I've known of other Marshalls. <laughs> you've heard you've heard of them in the, yeah, in the it, lore. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear of their existence.